It's time for Lost Cast, the Lost Decade Games Podcast. Okay, you ready? <laughs> I guess I have to be. Welcome to Lost Cast, episode 199. I'm Matt Hackett. I'm Jeff Blair. You know, we got some great emails. I Last week, I said I would like some help playtesting Indie Game Sim, and I'm very surprised by uh, all the people who actually did that. I didn't think anybody... I didn't think much, many people would, right? But there's been a bunch, so thank you. Nice. And it's really cool to see we've got people reaching out from the States, where we're at. We've got people reaching out from China, from South Africa. It's amazing. We have a global audience, and um, there's been a bunch of people. I haven't gotten to everybody yet, but I uh, should be able to get through that this week. So isn't, welcome, world. It, isn't it amazing that we live in a day and age where, you know, just two schmucks like us can have, <laughs> you know, like content that appeals to people around the globe and like we can easily contact them and share stuff with them and that kind of thing easily i don't know about but yes it is like we find the ears uh around the world right <clears throat> that's well, not yes. something we could have done a few decades decades ago even right right wouldn't have been possible there was this episode of simpsons i think it was uh i forget the details but somebody had a ham radio and they were trying to talk to somebody. It was in like Russia or something. <laughs> the radio came through and it was just like, I don't remember what it was sound like, but it was like, um, I, the message was, I have a ham radio. And it made me laugh. <laughs> I have a ham radio. Yeah. Anyway, that's our podcast. It reaches the world. Welcome everybody. That's really cool to see. Uh, Cause you know, we don't know. And, and until people tell us that uh, where you're at. So it's super cool. I just want to apologize to the global audience on behalf of our country. It's very, it's very disgraceful. <laughs> It's very embarrassing, and uh, not everyone agrees with it. I don't want to dwell on it. It's it's unfortunate, but I like we're welcoming and nice and kind, and we're not misogynist and xenophobic, right? We want to be amb- Here, ambassadors. <laughs> here's the thing that I think that that people need to understand about the United States right now, um, and, and this I think goes for people inside the United States as well as outside, and that is is that. There are fundamental problems that need to be addressed, and the out the outcome that you saw of our election is, I, I think, more of a reflection about the state of powerlessness that the people feel, right? Hmm. Than it is uh, a mandate for Americans to be racist and xenophobic and all those things. Like, I just you know what breaks my heart is that it's not a deal breaker. Those things should be deal breakers. It should be you look at your options for political office and you think, oh, that person said stuff like that. Well, that's not an option because right. <laughs> that's so hateful. Moving on to someone else. Not that's a deal true. breaker to, to 60 million Americans is very disappointing. I I definitely understand that. But I think that, you know, when you're kind of faced with an impossible choice, you know, and, and I'm not saying that it is actually an impossible choice. You know, my personal <laughs> opinion is that, you know, it would actually like democratic policies would be better for people in disadvantaged areas. But again, I can't even say that's 100% true because, you know, we've had a democratic president for the last eight years and the income equality in this country hasn't changed a whole lot. And sure. not that that's Obama's fault or anything really, but... Thanks, Obama. I, <laughs> I would like to acknowledge, you know, I, I am as anti-Trump as someone can be. But I will acknowledge that people that are upset with the income inequality in this country have, you know, a valid stance. 
Yeah, and I do think it says a lot that only, was it half, less than half, something like that, of registered voters actually voted. So I think the attitude of a lot of the country is, you know, when you give me a decision between, what was a South Park episode? Here I am referencing cartoons to help explain (laughs) my communication and political outlook. Um, There was a choice between a giant douche and a turd sandwich in the South Park episode. And that's the way it's felt for a long time. Like how many elections have ever been, not that many, right? Where you're like, you actually are in favor of someone. Instead, it's like, well, which one, which option sucks the least? And when that is your... That, and that's in front of you, that, that's the decision you have to make. A lot of people are like, you know what, screw it. I don't even care. Or I'm just going right. to sometimes, like this is human nature. Screw it. I, if I don't like any of the two, two decisions in front of me, I'm going to vote for the worst one. Just as like a middle finger up in the air. Because like, screw it. I don't like either of these choices. I think you know? I, that's a lot of what happened, right? It's a lot of like, you know, F the system yeah. kind of votes. And another thing to think about is that it's a plurality, not a majority, right? Right. Um 25% of the population, of the voting population, voted for Trump, and about 25% voted for Hillary Clinton. And then it was 50% really didn't vote. close. Yeah. Came so, I mean, it. we're talking about a minority here, no matter which way you slice it, right? Even if every single person that voted for Trump did so because they embraced his, you know, sort of xenophobic and nationalist ideas. Yeah. That's still only a quarter of the country, right? That is not yeah. representing all Americans in any way, shape, or form. And the likelihood is that it's even less. You know, I think a lot of those people were independent voters that maybe lived in these rural states, like, or, you know, the Rust Belt, right, where Trump won big. They lived in the Rust Belt, and their quality of life and their prospects for the future and for their children are terrible. And they didn't know what else to do but vote for a monster because they didn't, you know, at some point when your back's against the wall and you know, from your perspective, right? Where you're like, I have no, you know, I have no prospects of of getting a better job and like the towns here are dying and blah, 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 right? (laughs) Like you can sort of see where they would be like, I know this guy is a terrible person, but like something's got to change. I was talking with my brother and the analogy came up of um, you, you punch a mirror and you break your mirror and you have shattered glass everywhere and your hand hurts and you got cuts on your hands, but you were just at that point where... You just needed to do it, and you feel a little better. And you might even have regretted your decision <laughs> immediately after, right? right? With, like, uh, Brexit, you hear about that. Like, a lot of the voters who voted like, for oh, Brexit, no. the next day they were like, wait, that was the actual election? I thought that was, like, a preliminary or a, a practice. I changed right. my mind. <laughs> and a lot of them, like, kind of voted that, like, as an FU, right? Like, yeah, it was more did. like, oh, I didn't think it was going to pass. I just kind of wanted to, like, be a jerk. <laughs> Yeah, I, I've been there. Like, I, I've broken stuff. I think it that came up with my brother because, you know, we grew up together. He's seven years my senior, but we both had similar habits. Um, we were kind of, like, aggressive dudes, and, like, our walls, when we were growing up, paid the price. They were punched yeah. holes, kicked holes. And when you kick a hole in a wall, the way your foot hits the, the wall, you create a really big hole. So, like, we destroyed, like, a lot of the... <laughs> A lot of our walls when we were growing up. So it kind of wow. rang true to me that the kind of just self-destructive nature when you're just like confused and angry and you lash out. And I will say that I'm disappointed in that yeah, that perspective, right? Because I don't think Hillary Clinton has all the answers. I don't think any Democrat has all the answers. But I feel like the way that progress gets made is iteratively. Yeah. Right? Uh, you know, sometimes it, it does take <laughs> a war or something. I mean... You look at like the the revolution, U.S. revolution, stuff like that. So, yeah, who knows? But 
So this is not going to be Politicast 2. I just, I think that, uh, especially seeing these emails talking about, hey, you have got listeners all across the globe. It was just an extra, I'm already embarrassed about the outcome, right? I don't want the world to think, because this is, you know, we're two Americans. We've never lived anywhere except for America. I don't want people to think that that represents, you know, like the, the hateful attitude and all the unfortunate yes. negativity that's, that's <clears throat> you know what I'm saying? I, I just, like, for us, we want to be compassionate and welcoming and open and friendly. So I'm just, I want to extend a hand, you know, instead of a middle finger. So anyway, um, not, Absolutely. not up to us. And we would give you guys high fives and hugs if we could. So um, yep. we're going to get into it, though. I've got a couple things I want to plug from a podcast listener. I slip away. A big supporter of ours. Thanks a lot, dude. Uh, linked to a podcast. I think it was in Discord. When was it? Anyway, it's called The Psychology of Games, and there was one about achievements and motivation, and I listened to it while uh, doing some art crap the other day because I was also working on achievements recently, so I was like, all right, man, I should actually listen to that. So, uh, good listen. It was an interview episode. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. I should do that before I forget. Uh, Okay, another thing that I stumbled upon, I don't even know how I did this, but uh, I'm so... I love it when this happens. When I discover a term for something I've been talking about, that I didn't know existed, right? Yeah. So here's what it is. Um, On Wikipedia, I'll put a link to this in the show notes. Effective frequency. In advertising, the effective frequency is the number of times a person must be exposed to an advertising message before a response is made and before exposure is considered wasteful. So I think that's, that's a more specific thing than what we've talked about. What we've talked about is more like a threshold where you convince somebody or someone's on board for marketing exposure, right? So previously in the podcast, we were talking about like maybe the magic number is seven where you're looking at your RSS feed and someone's like, hey, in the game sim. And you're like, I don't care. There's a million games every day. And then you're looking at your Twitter and one of your friends is like, hey, in the game sim. And you're like, there's games everywhere. I heard about that one already. And I'm not interested yet. And then the third, fourth, fifth, whatever number that is, like that's what we've talked about is maybe it's the fifth time and it's, you know, your brother is playing it. And you're like, fine, I'll buy it. Jeez, right? And I think that it's, it's a good term here because the difference is really just that a response is made and exposure is now considered wasteful and i think that's the, the key difference but it still kind of works you know because if you hear about something let's say seven times and then you go out and you buy it and you continue to hear about it then that might be considered wasteful because it's like look dude i've already you already got my money right <laughs> right yeah so i think it works so now instead of when we talk about it, instead of being like you know that number where you're exposed to blah blah you know we can just say the effective frequency so we can say you know okay i i mailed people a newsletter about indie game sim i tweeted it they saw that twitter whatever and then maybe they're friends with me on steam and they saw me playing it maybe their effective frequency number is three and that's when they were on board they made a response and then any additional like knowledge sharing i do about the game is considered wasteful at that point right yeah really cool term i'm happy to have it i'm gonna use it <laughs> keep it in my arsenal of, of terms that is a good term to have it's so hard to track though you know like it's it's probably different for every single person and oh, like yeah. how do you know when you've reached that threshold with any given person yeah like i don't think advertising is that good yet where you know you can just be like maybe it is i don't know maybe maybe twitter ads and stuff where they're like please show jeff blair this advertisement three times <laughs> and no more because if he hasn't responded behind by the third time we know he's not interested or whatever you've got a, a database uh entry for your effective frequency Jeff Flair's right. effective frequency is, you know, 4.5 or whatever they've got. And <laughs> yeah. so they hit you up that many times and I'm then they sure, back no, away. I, I'm absolutely sure that there, that yeah. never exists somewhere. Yeah, for sure. Oh, it probably exists 
in multiple places, right? Like Google has a one and I don't use Facebook, but if I did, Facebook would have one and Twitter has one and yeah, Amazon probably has one. I like having that tool though. I remember like I've probably told this story before, but when I got my first programming job, there were several terms that would come up and I was like, "Uh oh, <laughs> they know I'm a fraud, <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't know these because like, what was it? It was something like hash table. And I'm like, you know, self-taught programmer just out of high school, right? I, I mean, I don't, <laughs> the internet wasn't what it is today. I couldn't really find out about this stuff. I had to read like a hundred freaking books and buy them, right? Uh, but then it was like, oh, it has, like in PHP, yes, I've used that before, right? I just, I didn't have the words to describe it. I don't even, and that makes me question, how did I even w- learn that stuff back then? Just by doing, I guess, you know? You don't read an article about like, here's how to do a hash table. You know, instead you're just like, I'm just programming and then, oh, apparently that's what I was using. Yeah, I think there was a lot of information available on the net at that time even, but it was just much harder to find, right? It was it a lot harder, yeah. It wasn't like, hey, Stack Overflow covers most of your bases. It's more like... You had to go hunting. Let me Google you know? that for you. Didn't exist. I mean, Google, well, Google was there. Didn't, Google didn't even exist. <laughs> right. I mean, when I started first programming, there was no such thing as Google. Exactly. It was just, what was it? Lycos, maybe? Oh, wow. I don't know. I remember um, when I got my first programming job, I don't know why I remember it, but it was Firefox 0.8 is what I yeah. installed. And that was my first time. I never knew what Firefox was. And that's that's when I found out, oh, this is an actual web browser. This is amazing. I'm in love with this. And then it only got better and better with Firebug and whatnot. I think my first the first browser that I ever wrote HTML for was Netscape 475 or something. Mm. Yep, that sounds about right. Man, you are old. I am I'm old. What's wrong dirt. with you? <laughs> Uh, so let's jump into TypeScript. You've been working with TypeScript recently. I'm interested to hear about this. Is this through your contract or is this for Jeff Times? Well, it's kind of both. Both times? Both times. Well, so I uh, was exposed to it from someone that I'm working with <laughs> on the contract. Sounds like it infected you. It did, yeah. They were like, <laughs> oh, I've come down with TypeScript. Oh, no. It's getting <laughs> into my fingers. I have to type it now. No. The hives. <laughs> um, there's a guy who I'm working with uh who who likes typescript a lot and he wasn't like pressing it on me or anything he's just using it right and i'm looking at it and i'm like you know when i see someone smart do something right Mm -hmm. and i'm like maybe i should think about doing it is that why you're always copying me all the (laughs) time no that's why i do the exact opposite (laughs) of what you do (laughs) what's matt doing oh i'm going this way forget that matt's using vim no emacs (laughs) I don't even like Emacs. I just have to use it. You go the way opposite way. Yeah, you won't even That's you fair. won't even use Emacs. Yeah, no, I won't. A different religious war. Anyway, <laughs> TypeScript. <laughs> Anyways, um, I've just been thinking about JavaScript in general, right? And, and been writing a lot of it. That's know, not, that's not new. That's like, like that's your life for the last <laughs> five or ten years. All JavaScript. But I think all the time. that like working at you know working on LDG stuff, you know, we had this luxury. Uh, of writing JavaScript for mostly just Chrome. Right. And that is wonderful <laughs> in a lot of ways because you have this like certain feature set where you're like, okay, either Chrome supports the syntax or it doesn't, right? Right. And the JavaScript landscape is moving very quickly, right? You have things like ES6 and stuff with like all these different kinds of syntax things that are nice, right? Like let versus var, like let is great. I love using let now. I would use, I, I basically don't use var anymore ever at all. Wow. Uh, because let, I think is just superior in a lot of ways. Like 
conceptually and mechanically. It's just a sharper tool, right? It's a more explicit way exactly, to... Exactly, yeah. Yeah. It's like, hey, do you want your stuff to be block scoped or function scoped? And it's like, most of the time, block scoping is really what you want. And yeah. VAR Wait. is more like, eh, I don't care. Yeah, VAR <laughs> Surprise is more like, me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's always function scoped, right? And so it just right, it leads right. to some... <sighs> just less exact with your scoping. Right. And, you know, you can, like everything you do with let, you could do with VAR too. You just have to name your stuff differently. And so I think that, you know, the big advantage of some of this stuff is that it lets, lets you write more um, elegant code. And that that's sort of a debatable premise sometimes, right? Like El- what's elegant versus... to one person might be garbage to someone else, right? Right. So but like, for example, subjective. for example, what, so something that I like to do is if you have more than one for loop in, uh, in your code, right? And like you want to use the iterator i variable for it. With let, that just works and the i is scoped to each of the four blocks, right? Ooh, yeah. With var, the i is scoped to the function, right? Mm-hmm. And so with let, you can do stuff like you can have a loop with an inner loop and they can both use let i equals zero and it won't cause a problem because they're block scoped. So I guess the only downside would be you can't go up to the previous scope to get the i if you needed it for some reason. Right. Which is, you know, you usually don't need it. But that seems right. like that would get rid of some of those problems too with closure within a for loop. Because if you've got block it does, exactly. Right. Yeah, nice. So, That's so some clunky-ass JavaScript, let me tell you, to use like functional scope within a for loop. Bull. Yeah, exactly. Because then like if, if you're passing, like you're making a reference to that value later, like you're you're doing something with it after like the function has ended, right? Like yeah, I think everyone who's written like JavaScript a... like in a production capacity has has had that problem, right? You you have encountered <laughs> yes. that bug and you've probably written it yourself and been like, what has happened? Oh, right, right, right. It's like, <laughs> like that's oh, happened. Like I is always 10 or whatever the length of the array is because right. it's, yeah. Anyways, that's just a small example of, of things that are nice. There's a lot of other nice things like, you know, the fat arrow syntax and all that stuff. But JavaScript has kind of gotten to the place now where we need these tools to exist when you're talking about code that has to target many different JavaScript interpreters, hmm. right? Um, it's kind of the same way, and this is really nothing new, right? It's like jQuery back in the day, right? Like, sure. oh God, IE8, oh God, like it's terrible. Um, and in a lot of ways, that, that situation has not gotten any better in the past 20 years or whatever that the web <laughs> has been in development. Uh, a little, a little, baby. Yeah, I mean, th- th- there's, you know, there's progress, but we still live in a world where there are significant differences between, for example, JavaScript core on iOS and V8 on Android or something, right? Yeah. I think that for me, like working on this contract stuff and, and having to target other browsers again, it really makes me want to have a surface flattener, right? Mm-hmm. for lack of a better term, uh, a great equalizer, you know, to let me write code to one spec, right? Instead of saying like, okay, I'm going to write pure JavaScript. And that's fine. Like I like pure JavaScript. But the problem with pure JavaScript is, is that all of your code has to conform to the lowest common denominator, right? Yep. So if I'm targeting, you know, JavaScript core on iOS 9, let doesn't work. So none of my code can use let right? Absolutely zero. So it makes it hard to embrace some of the improvements that have been made to the language without having something that equalizes it. And then, 
obviously like this is something that everybody knows right that's a web developer right is it like yes of course you dummy like why <laughs> <laughs> why would you be writing pure javascript um i just kind of wanted to point out that it's like and it's an interesting transition going from you know using javascript as essentially a scripting language against one implementation versus you know now having to write javascript again for the wider the wider consumption of various javascript interpreters right did i talk about indie game sim the share feature and how it like i tested it on multiple browsers uh yes okay. well you told me about it but i don't think you talked about it on the cast so indie game sim has the share feature from in-game you can share your levels and basically what it does is it just gives you a url like a code you can send a git var over to indiegamesim.com slash share and it'll generate your level there and it's going to be playable in the browser right because even if you're on steam playing the game i want you to be able to share it with your friends even if they don't have it on steam or if they don't have steam at all right so i tested it on all the basic browsers right opera safari firefox and edge right worked yep. out of the box like a charm there's nice. only a few problems with you know audio is still a little bit garbage and uh this game uses the image smoothing enabled and what do you call that the, the hard pixel hard edges pixel rendering and that's not totally great <laughs> across the board but other than that i mean i was surprised it ran because i was fully expecting just some critical errors here and there i probably had to clean up but out of the box man i put it up on share tested it in all the browsers and like yeah ran, runs and works largely pretty well very impressive Sounds like uh, there must have been some expert JavaScript <laughs> architecture That's going what on it, there. That is what it was. And it was like the like Jin as a game engine is several years old and hasn't really uh, been kept up. Like it's not very modern, right? There's no ES6 in there, I don't think. It, it's very like, that's right. the thing is it's been written a while ago and it was written in such a way where it was very flexible compatible. and very compatible. Yeah. Well, because when we originally wrote it, actually, it was cross-browser compatible, right? Because things yeah. like node webkit and and chromium or not chromium sorry node webkit and electron weren't things when we started writing right. our game engine, right <laughs> and so when we started doing html5 games our basic premise was yeah we're launching these games in the web browser right right and, and it has to work in firefox and, and ie and stuff um and even later than that when we started selling licensable games those games had to work cross-browser in mobile browsers even oh yeah big time so Jin has been designed from the ground up to be basically the lowest common denominator, which is that like, yes, it works on like crappy versions of iOS that have like <laughs> zero, <laughs> zero JavaScript features to yep. speak of. Um, so that's probably one reason why it just works, right? Because something that they have done a good job of is keeping it backwards compatible. Yeah, for sure. Right. So the, the you know, JavaScript that we write <clears throat> for Jin, even though it doesn't take advantage of all the newest greatness and stuff, it, uh, it works. So how does TypeScript work? Do you write it and then it gets transpiled into something else before runtime? What are we doing here? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Do you have to, is it like, it's not like less, is it? Where you need uh, to have a service running to convert your crap? Well, you don't have to have a service, but it is like less in that it, it requires a preprocessor. And that's going to be true for anything. That's not, that is not, uh, unless you're writing pure JavaScript, that is the case, right? So Same thing where with CSS, does, right? Like, sure. Where does that live in your stack, though? Well, it would have to live at you know the processing level. So like that's something we could actually easily do in Jin, right? Like because the way that Jin works is is that it sets up a web server for you that's based in Node, right. and every time you refresh the page, 
it recompiles all of the code and sends it to the browser. Okay. Um, there's a little bit of nuance there because the way we use Require.js. Require.js yeah. is actually kind of nice in, in some regards because it works in the browser and it also works as a bundled module. So when we test in the browser, Require.js just says like, hey, here's the Require.js browser library and here's the entry point, right? So it's really fast. And then from there, it dynamically loads all of the requirements, you know, at runtime in the browser. Right. Whereas when we build it for production, uh, it, you know, basically bundles all of those uh, required JS modules into a single JavaScript blob and puts that uh, in the browser. But we have that entry point, right? Where like at that point where the Jin server handles the request for the game, we can compile anything we want, right? Right. We could run it through Jade. We could run it through SAS. We could run it through Less. We could run it through TypeScript. We could run it through Babel. Any of those things. Do you notice any latency, or is it really just the same as other platforms you've used? Um, there's a little bit of latency, of course, because you're like basically transforming a bunch of files, right? And, yeah. and so it depends like on the size of your project and the complexity of it and all that other stuff. Um, but there's there's also ways to get around that, right? Like you can do things like having a process that watches. Um, the file system and whenever a single file changes it recompiles only that file like it doesn't have to recompile the entire thing yeah jekyll kind of works that way right we yeah, still exactly, use that right. for uh, our our website which is also a blog platform but like i i think that what you were getting at earlier with your talking about less was that when we started using less we were using like this app that ran in the mac os menu bar yeah that watched files like that that's the wrong solution right like that's just oh god i hate it so much the right less, solution, less especially is, like the interface. Oh God! Yeah, the right solution is to have that baked into your build process, where like you yeah. know, hey, there are n number of things that need to happen to this JavaScript before I send it to the browser or build it for production. Like, what are those things, right? Right. The thing with with TypeScript that I found interesting is that um, it's kind of like this nice, sort of very specific target um, of things that you can write against, right? Like. It has, you know, here's the way classes are defined. Here's the things, here's the features you can use, you know. Like it sort of puts you on this path of, you know, sort of opinion. It's not so strongly opinionated, but it's got some opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm starting to kind of feel like I'm in the mood for that kind of a thing, right? Hmm. I don't know. Every time I work on JavaScript and it's like, okay, how are we doing class inheritance this time? <laughs> right? Pick a new way. Pick a new way. Let's see. Um, this way. Okay. Then this project. How are we gonna do uh, module requirements? You know, let's let's do it this way. Right. Right. So I don't know. I'm not saying that TypeScript is the be all end all because I don't have that much experience in it. I just it's one of those things that came up again on my radar, and at this point now I'm like, hmm. You know what? I might be in the right mental spot for something like this, and it could be Babel. Right. Babel is a very similar thing. Babel feels a lot more unapproachable to me though. Like, mm-hmm. it feels like it's a much bigger thing, uh, whereas TypeScript has, like, more of this kind of feel to it, like, hey, we're giving you this superset of JavaScript, <clears throat> but we maintain a lot of, like, backwards compatibility and stuff like that. You know, it feels a lot like JavaScript, and not that, you know, Babel and ES6 doesn't, um, but having kind of taken a cursory look at both, every time I look at Babel, I'm like, oh, my God, this is so complicated. What's going on here? <laughs> Yeah, you, um, don't, you don't want that. Like you know, there's going to be so much complexity later on. Like you don't right. want to see that right out of the gate. Yeah. 
Um, but again, I, I think that they're probably equivalent, you know, like Babel and, and TypeScript are probably doing a lot of similar things, right? I think that maybe the difference is, is that TypeScript adds things that um, ES6 might not even have, like the type checking and stuff. Right. Um, I, I'm not a super huge fan of type checking. I think that's kind of the thing about TypeScript is like, I can leave it or take it. Like I can see how that's useful in some cases. Yeah. Um, especially like if you're dealing with JavaScript objects, right? When you're dealing with just like, you know, uh, basic types like Boolean and string and stuff, I don't think it's that important, right? Right. But when you're dealing with JavaScript objects, when you're like, you know, you get a JavaScript object as a parameter to a function and you're like, does it have methods? Who knows? You have to check, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, does it implement uh, the render function? You, you know, depending on your architecture, you might expect that it does, right? Um, It'll crash if it doesn't. Exactly, right. And so, you know, it could be an interesting, or not an interesting way, but a a good way to kind of reduce a lot of the cruft around your JavaScript, right? Where you're, you know, when you get this object in the the parameter, you can say like, this object must be uh, a scene graph node. And all scene graph nodes have to uh, adhere to this interface, which includes a render function. Right. And that way you never ever have to say if object and object.render, then call object.render. Yeah. You could just say object.render. And if an object doesn't have that coming in there, then hopefully like at compile time, they would tell you blah. Right. <laughs> blah is useful to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, they would say, you know, this object no, doesn't, yeah, yeah. You, you get something useful instead of just a, you know, critical error that's not helpful, right? Right, 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 right. Hmm. So, so you anyways, guys are uh, actively using it? You're actually um, using it with your contract, or is it something you guys are thinking about? We're thinking about, yeah. So, like, it's it's interesting. The the company that I'm working for um, right now, myself and a bunch of other team members are like building out a essentially a game engine in JavaScript, um, and we're trying to figure out the best ways to move forward and the best tools to use uh, in order to make that happen, right? And and something that's on the table are transpilers, like TypeScript and Babel and and whatnot. I think that Phaser was using TypeScript and then stopped, but it would be so easy to look it up and prove me right or wrong for some reason. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. Okay. Yay. Good job, Brain. Yeah. Um, I think that that is difficult. I mean, it, it, it's hard because I don't know exactly what Phaser's goals were, right? <clears throat> and, and why TypeScript was a mismatch for them. And it could be that they found some like horrible flaws in it that made it, you know, unpalatable for their uses. <clears throat> but it also could just be the fact that they were trying to kind of be, you know, like they were trying to be less opinionated, I think. Yeah. And I think in the context that I'm working in, opinionated might be better. <laughs> right. Cause we're talking about internal tools, right. And, and, and internal tools, like the goal isn't like, Hey, let's appeal to the broadest audience possible. Yeah. Right. It's it's more like what is the best solution for us that we can do to make this pipeline smooth and effective? Right. Yeah. I only know enough about TypeScript to like I don't know. I don't know much of the the actual details. I kind of know high level stuff about it. Um so I don't really have a formed an opinion of my own, right? But I remember several years ago at this point, we were working with a company, uh, we we're doing a contract for them, and they had what was intended to be a public facing SDK, right? And they were using CoffeeScript. And it was a similar situation where I didn't really, like, I, again, I'm not, I don't, not that familiar with the CoffeeScript syntax. I don't know the details too much, but I get it from a high level. And that just felt like the deeply wrong 
decision to me because it means that the developers you want using your tools also need to be using CoffeeScript. And it's like, I've never seen the pickup very high. There's like the few people who are just kind of hate JavaScript and they're like, oh God, CoffeeScript is so much better, right? But to me, it's yeah. like, you need another another thing in that stack, another layer in this already inevitably layered web stack. One less is good. And like so many people know JavaScript and so few people know CoffeeScript. I feel like the wrong pick, but anything like, uh, you know, TypeScript, I, again, I don't, I don't really have an opinion about it. I think it's probably a fine, fine choice. Well, it's like uh, CoffeeScript is kind of like, it's an opinionated version uh, of JavaScript, right? And, and right. you may not agree with it, right? Like but some people really like the syntax. Yeah, some people, and a lot of the ideas that came out of CoffeeScript, I think, made their way into ES6 and and probably even things like TypeScript down the line. So, hmm. it's CoffeeScript itself probably wasn't, you know, the be all end all, but it led to good things. That's good. Yeah, and, and I guess what I was saying earlier about things like TypeScript and Babel and and CoffeeScript is that they do kind of seem like a necessity if you want to write JavaScript at scale. <laughs> uh, that targets that targets many different browsers, right? Like you need something, right? It doesn't have to be CoffeeScript. It doesn't have to be TypeScript. It doesn't have to be Babel. Um, but it does seem like that is a prudent decision in a lot of ways, right? Like where you say, what features can I use, right? When, you, when you're writing your code, what JavaScript features can I use? If the answer is whatever TypeScript supports, that's easy. If the answer is, well, you have to try it on iOS 9 because that's our lowest target. And if it doesn't work there, you can't use it anywhere because blah, 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 you know? Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of value in in terms of getting things done and maintaining code at scale for having something like that. Man, I'm in such a different spot in my career now than I was before. I remember I used to use constantly the caniuse.com to see what features were available. And I remember having like discussions with, uh, you know, management at Yahoo about what features we were allowed to use and what we weren't and which like specific versions of operating systems and browsers we had to support, you know? So that came up a lot of, you know, can I use this CSS hack or this trick or this property or, you know, what kind of JavaScript can I use? All that, you know, all that kind of stuff. And these days it's not really a question. Like it hasn't been a question to me for years. I think that is partially because the way that I like to write JavaScript now is kind of locked into those gin, like the gin era, like of, you know, 20, 20, 2010 to 2012 or so. <laughs> like my JavaScript is locked into there. And part of me feels like, oh, maybe I should keep up. Maybe I should be using const and let and looking into the other, you know, features that I can use. Because I know there's a lot because we have this nice controlled environment, like you were saying earlier in the show, right? We only use, you know, Chrome to test and then we use NWJS always to distribute. So whatever is supported there, which is a lot of new stuff, like I can use it, you know? But I just kind of like writing JavaScript that's going to work everywhere. Yes. It makes me think of World of Warcraft. I remember seeing like somebody complaining years ago at this point about how the graphics look kind of crappy. By modern standards, they sort of do, you know? Now the game hasn't kept up in a lot of ways. But the thing is, World of Warcraft is very accessible because it hasn't, you know, it doesn't have all these new millions of polygons. Like it is kind of trapped in five ish, 10 ish years ago. It's, way more playable on a lot more people's computers because it's not too taxing, you know, and that's, there's some benefit there. It is almost very backwards compatible where like, if you have a 10 year old computer, you might be able to run World of Warcraft, but like, can you run Here's the Storm? Like maybe not. Overwatch? Like, I don't know. That's, those modern games are probably more taxing, right? Right. 
So, I mean, that's kind of like the, the pitch for something like TypeScript, right? Is that right. you can run your JavaScript in browsers like iOS, uh, JavaScript Core and iOS 9 that don't support some of these things. And it doesn't matter to you because TypeScript will rewrite your JavaScript lets to be vars and then you don't have to worry about it. Hmm. Right? Yeah. I'm not saying that's the, the only answer, right? But yeah, it does. Uh, it does have some value. Yeah, I definitely see the comfort sometimes of, you know, you settle into a decision and you know what you can use. I saw this, uh, was a TED Talk recently talking about basically decision paralysis and how it can be really harmful, you know? And we've talked about this before, you know, a lot of people spend uh, a lot of time spinning their wheels just deciding, like, what what game engine should I use, right? A lot of people who are just starting off, they've got their idea, they've got a concept they want to explore. Problem is they, they don't really know Game Maker, right? And they're interested in Unity, but haven't really tried it. They know a little bit of Python, but they haven't found anything they really like, you know? And what was the study I saw? It was something like when you are at a corporate job and you get an offer for like a 401k where they will um, match what you put into it, right? Like you want to do that. That's just free money, right? And there's like a sweet spot where you want to give your employees like two or three options. And there was some number after like four or five where every single option you add after after that would decrease uh, people who would participate by 4%, like consistently. So if you had 50 options, like almost nobody would pick something and actually contribute. But if you had you know, much fewer options, like three or four, your, you know, participation will, will go up dramatically. Yeah. That, that makes, you know, it just relies on human nature, right? Like people, yeah. like three is a good number. We talked about this. <laughs> uh, we were talking about game design the other day yeah. about how many choices you should have um, at, at any given time. And we, we thought that three was a pretty good number. And you kind of see that a lot of places, right? Like the three items in a Zelda shop, maybe sometimes four. Rock, paper, scissors, right? Yeah, you've got a lot of games. I look at uh, some of Blizzard's earlier games, like Lost Vikings. You've got the three classes. Look at Trine, right? Like we've talked a lot about that. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. It's like uh, you've got your three basic classes to pick from. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, um, it is the holy number of game design. Something that World of Warcraft has done with his latest expansion, and maybe a little bit before it, but <clears throat> they revamped all of their talent trees to basically be. Uh, N tiers of three choices each. Mm, so nice. like when you get to level like 100, you get a choice of three different talents and you can only pick one, but there's no like hierarchy, right? It doesn't, if you pick this one, you have to go, you know, and then you can't go into this other tree. No, none of that. That's all gone. It's like level 100, pick one of these three talents. Level mm-hmm. 105, pick one of these three talents. Um, and it, it works a lot better. Um, something else they did, which I found really interesting was they have these artifact weapons that have their own talents in them now, but it's like a tree. And so uh, you only can ever pick one direction or the other, or sometimes none, right? <laughs> if you're like, I'm going down this branch and uh, like I have to keep going down until I get to a, a branching point. And then, but the branching points are only ever two. Huh. So they're so, using both methods. They have a linear structure where you always have the same three choices. Then they also have a tree branch structure for the items. Right. Wow, but that's, that's a lot of complexity. With the items, you only ever have two choices at a time at max, though. Okay. I like that simplicity there. I think we were talking about this recently. I have a general complaint about Heroes of the Storm, which is that... So, I don't know, a lot of people probably haven't played. So, just real quick, you, you play like a 20 to maybe as many 30-minute game, right? And when you're playing the game, you will gain levels, just like a role-playing game. It's all like Diablo, I guess. 
And there's certain uh, milestones where, like, when you get to level four, is it four? When you get your first talents, I think it's four, seven, ten, right? It's like every couple of levels. It's not every level. But then you get uh, your pick, and it ranges. You get your choices range from two picks up to, is it five is the most, or is it four? It's either it's four or too five. Many. <laughs> it's too many. <laughs> it's too many. The two is great, and you always see two, and not even always, actually. There's a new hero today they just launched. It's got three choices at level 10. Those are their ults. Their ultimates, oh, right? Man. And the vast majority of characters have two ultimates. And even that feels like too many because a lot of characters, uh, for example, Thrall is a, it's like a Warhammer warrior orc I like to play a lot. And for the longest time, he's had these two ults. He's got Earthquake and Sundering, and everybody goes with Sundering. Nobody ever uses Earthquake. And that's a really common thing. And I think that says a lot, because even when you only have two choices, a lot of times there's the one strongest choice. So when I'm given, like, four choices at level one, right, five choices at level seven or whatever, I just roll my eyes. I go and I look at a guide. I'll look at Icy Veins or something, right? And they're always like, here's the best one. Just pick that one. Sometimes they're like, here's two. And once in a blue moon, they're like, oh, my God here's three but i'll tell you what there's always a crap choice there's always like no one picks this don't ever use it and sure there's going to be like it has more depth and more strategy to it And there's going to be a case where oh hey that one garbage talent no one ever takes that is actually good here because of the combination of map and my teammates and my opponents right but the right. thing is i don't want that much decision especially and here's the thing uh we talked about this before sometimes like where are your bottlenecks where's a hot spot in your code like for optimization and stuff i don't want to make that kind of decision in the heat of battle how many times does it come up where you're just you're in a team fight that lasts like a minute or more, like like several minutes sometimes, and you've got this stupid like, hey, talent's available, come up, and you're like, I don't have time. Like I there hasn't been one second where I can look at the list and go, okay, cleanse, that's pretty good. Speed rush, like which right? I like yeah. having this pre-baked where I can just like I pop it up, I know always which one I'm gonna go with. And I never want more than like two decisions in that heat of the moment battle. Or um, you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> at at I that moment, it, I never wanted to make more than, you know, one decision context matters a lot right like if you're yeah, playing an mmorpg and you level up you know chances are you can just stop right yeah nothing's attacking you you're out in the world doing whatever questing maybe you're in town because you turned in a quest you can like literally just stop right there press your talent button and read every single one in depth and yeah. think about it like oh this one modifies my you know main core damage ability like that's pretty good like let me contrast that with whatever you might want to uh, go check your teammates talents to see what talent you want to go with, right? If somebody went offensive, you might want to go defensive or you might want to pair your ability with someone else's. Good luck. I mean, I, I don't know. I guess it just speaks to like the the high skill cap, right? And the depth of gameplay. Like it's there, but I think it's just too much. I think to reach that we've talked before about sufficient complexity. I'm going to put a link to the show notes. Which like complex city. I love, I just like saying that. I'm really proud of that. <laughs> Most podcast names are ass, but I like that one. But I think that they... I need a different term now, like overly complex to the point where you never get annoyed with a game where you're like, dude, just come on, man. I don't need that much crap. You know what you need? You need complexity frequency. Ooh, complexity (laughs) frequency. Actually, that reminds me. I actually played a freaking game for once yesterday. Effective complexity. Effective. Oh, that's good. Hang on. You write this down. (laughs) Effective complexity. Matt, come back. Look at you coining a term, effective complexity. Yeah, that's great because it works with effective frequency we were talking about earlier for uh, for marketing. So with game design, effective complexity, I think that with something like take Heroes of the Storm, take it exactly as it is, don't change anything except every single talent 
you get to pick from is now limited to two choices. I think it's a win across the board. I think it it improves accessibility. It's easier for new players. I don't think you really lose much depth because you're still making these advanced decisions. In fact, I think if you have your choice limited and you're still craving more, then you can go look at talents. You can go learn more about not just your teammates' Uh, heroes or your opponent's heroes, but also look at their talents. People don't really drill into that all that much. That's kind of wasted uh, energy there, you know? Effective complexity. And I think that they've passed it. I think it's at the point where it's too much complexity there to the point where it turns me off and I'm intimidated by it and it doesn't do me any good. That is fair. But you also have to realize that there are a lot of people Twitch that is a good thing, right? Like, I mean, if you look at Here's the Storm, which is... uh, almost objectively a simpler game regarding decisions than in the, the genre more popular game. right in like league genre, of legends right. is just, yeah you're right objectively way more complex that game would bug and, the crap out of me <laughs> and objectively more popular that's a good point that's a good point right. yeah like, heroes of the storm is not one of the most popular mobas right yeah you and i tend to like it and we also kind of like live in a bubble um but i, I think it's like it, there's blizzard's mo right like they're trying to make the accessible mmo yeah. Or uh, MOBA, rather. Right. Just the same way they did with WoW, right? Like, WoW was the accessible MMORPG, right? It wasn't EverQuest, where it was really hard to understand, and there was, like, so much, you know, world rules to understand. I mean, WoW still has tons of that. Right. Um, But, you know, I guess it, it's different strokes in a lot of ways. I guess For sure, I'm yeah. I know a lot of, like, I'm sure a lot of people, uh, you know, they'll be listening going like, no, man, I don't agree. Like, I want 10 options at level 10, right? Like, I want 10 alts or like, I just, I want more, I want more complexity. But I think the point is though, is that like, if you can't get people invested, they're not going to make those choices, right? It's kind of like, right when you're talking about the radio buttons for 401k, like most people, when they're making that decision, they're like, I don't care. I just need to fill out this form for <laughs> my onboarding process. Right. Like, yeah. but the, the argument that they should care is sort of irrelevant here. Right. Right. Human nature is to not care. Right. And if people don't care about the options, they're just going to like gloss over. Right. Um, so the trick is to get people to actually care about the nuance <laughs> that yeah. the options offer. Yeah. Which is hard. It is hard. I like that kind of uh, that kind of conversation, and it I don't know, it really helps like root what it is that I like about games. You know, like why did the Mega Man games appeal to me so much with their jump and their shoot and their taking of boss abilities, and then the Mega Man X Plus games, like all those games, didn't really do it for me. And I think it is because was that term effective complexity. I think they passed that to the point where it was uh, too complex for me, and it just kind of turned me off. Yeah, and I think that like if you look at the trends in like especially mobile applications and mobile games, and like the big, um, you know, the big push towards like really good UX and like having teams of people that do user research and stuff, like that's all basically to combat this kind of human nature of glossing over and getting bored and mm. leaving when you don't understand something. Yeah, that's um, true. So so clearly, like for the for the common person you're absolutely right you know like the fewer decisions the better and and the fewer decisions you have to make the more accessible it is and the more likely that someone will play your game and stay on board probably yeah i'll probably try to put a link to that in the show notes the ted talk if i could find it i don't even remember i just was going through my queue but i'll put a link in there i love that kind of stuff i love psychology lessons that can not just make you better at your craft but you know help you with your life decisions you know yeah 
So, Anyways, we kind of got yeah. off track of the, uh, the TypeScript oh, talk, on but this I think show? I was done with that. No, we didn't. <laughs> yes, never Okay, so, so TypeScript, uh, TypeScript, I look forward to hearing more about that in the future. We have other stuff. Uh, we have two new questions from Andre, which we're grateful to get. Really good questions. Um, I want to talk about item stacking, which I've been talking about for a while. We only have 10 minutes left, and I wanted to actually, I think I'm going to pivot and talk about something else, because since we only have 10 minutes left, and I want to talk about what's fresh in my mind. Okay. So I actually played a freaking, uh, I think it's an indie game. I played a, a new game yesterday that I hadn't played before, and I played it with intent. I oh. played it to find out about it, to educate myself, to learn what's good and what is not that great about the game, right? Are you going to plug the episode where we talked about playing with intent? Ooh, I should. What was it? Playing Lost with intent. Man, that's a cast. good... I don't know something, why I feel the, na- the need to always call the podcast names puns or something, because playing with intent, that's a good, that's just, you know what you're getting. <laughs> Straightforward. I like it. Yes. Maybe I'll call, I'll call this one effective complexity, or I don't know, who knows, man. The so, Lost effective. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> ship it. <laughs> uh, I played the Magic Circle, and forgive me, my notes are horrible. I think Salmon Moose gave this to me, I believe. Uh, feel, I, I know, I'm, I'm sure you're listening right now and will correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, either way I got that game for free. So I really appreciate that. That's a good way to get me to play something. Give me a free copy of it because <laughs> <laughs> the guilt works in and I'm like, Oh, I should really play that. So like, you know, it prioritizes it. And you so, don't have that decision point of like, Hey, should I spend the money on this? Yeah. I save some money and uh, it also promotes the thing. It helps honestly, because my queue of things I need to play is something like thirty games. So I get, I do, I get decision paralysis. I'm not kidding. This has happened. I sit down. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna play new one of these new games. Let's see, uh, Wizard Wars, Magic Circle. Here's the storm, <laughs> and I fall back to my old habits. Right. Yes. Okay. So I sat down. I set a freaking timer for an hour. I was like, I'm gonna play this game for an hour. Wow. So I played the Magic Circle, and I also did that thing where I filled out a form afterwards because I nice. like to do that, and it was fun. So you do, I, you do love filling out forms. Maybe I, you should have like in a, maybe in a different life you worked at the DMV or something. Oh my God, <laughs> why do you hate me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I'm in this timeline, the non-dark timeline. Yes. So this is a first-person. I would call it a puzzle game so far. First-person action game. It looks really cool. Um, I have all these things I filled out that I'll go through, but basically the, like a, a one-liner, I like having a one-liner, not just like what the games is, what the marketing was decided to be. Right. But like, what would I, how would I describe it to somebody in one sentence? Right. Uh, hack an unfinished fantasy game. Huh. I think that's pretty accurate. Uh, and then I've got other stuff like, um, hooks, what I think is unique about the game. And for that one, it seems like it is the mix and match mechanic which I will get into. Um, and then I've got other stuff like the stability because there have been a handful of indie games I literally could not play because they were just so bug-ridden. One of them, a wizard's lizard. I'm like, what is this? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it was another game. But anyway, um, so the game looks, I would say, mostly kind of cel-shaded and some sometimes at least it's got this thing going on where like the world looks kind of cool it's very uh kind of low color palettes right a lot of it's desaturated and you're kind of walking around this unfinished fantasy triple a game and there's these floating kind of disembodied camera head eyeball thingies and they're talking 
um, not really to you as much as like about what's going on. And they're talking about like, <clears throat> oh, this part's not been finished yet. And one of them is clearly like um, a, a Molyneux type where they're like a, a dictatorish uh, game designer that's probably famous and very successful, right? And then that person just like at odds uh, with his team because he's like, you know, he's got his vision he wants to get across. And you are like uh, this weird, I don't even know what you are yet. I guess you're just a player, right? And you come in and the game is unfinished and your job is to go around and like find the seams in the universe and patch them up. And the general mechanic that sets it apart is that like I went down this little passageway and then uh, something killed me. I don't even know what it was. It was a dog thingy, right? And then I came back to life and then the narrator, which also, by the way, the narration is really good. All the voice acting is amazing. Uh, the narrator's like, oh, you got killed by that thing. Uh, you should basically trap it. So you can trap it in this like gold stuff, <laughs> magic dust or whatever. And then once you do that, you can interact with them and you can manipulate them. So you hit like E to edit and you go inside of the entity kind of, right? Like game dev style. And you're like in the matrix, right? And you've got this weird interface where you can interact with, uh, with the entity and change its properties. So you can say... You know, its enemy is the hero. Its enemy is nothing. Its enemy is other enemies, right? Huh. You can say it moves by flight. It moves by ground. You can say it attacks with teeth or, you know, against melee or projectile or nothing. So you can you can basically, like, make it follow you, make it not follow you, make it attack you, make it not attack you, which is pretty cool. And you can solve puzzles that way, like, um, you know, oh, here's two, you know, push buttons you got to stand on. So I'm going to stand on one, and I'm going to tell you know, one of these entities I'm editing to stand on the other, that kind of thing. You can have them fight for you, defend you, all that good stuff. So that's really cool. What, uh, so let me go through my compliment. Or maybe I should go through gripes. I'll go through gripes and then compliments. I like a compliment sandwich. I've already said I like the narration a lot. Uh, so I thought it was really cool. And the thing is, is when you first start playing the game, I've got a lot of hope. Like you always got a lot of hope and potential, right? Like we all hope that when you first start playing a game, it's going to be this magical thing you're always looking for. And it had that feeling for a while for me. Like, I didn't really know where it was going, and it was all really cool. But I think it ended up, it just kind of feels like another AAA game, to be honest. And I think what did it for me was that the entities themselves, you walk up to them, you trap them very easily, you hit E to edit. And what you end up doing is you've got all these traits you can modify. Like, I'm going to make it move or not move or be my friend or not be my friend. But at the very bottom is collect all behaviors. And what that is, is like in Skyrim or Oblivion or Borderlands or whatever, it's take all, right? It's okay. loot. Okay, so at that point, all these entities that are very configurable, and that's a cool mechanic, they just turn into crates. So it's just another AAA game where you walk around and you see a crate and you open it up, take everything, right? It just felt like a looting game at that point. Oh, so you loot the behaviors. You loot all the behaviors. There's, there's no reason that I can see not to just, you see a monster, you trap it, which disables it, you walk up to it, you edit it, you take everything it's got, and you leave it there to rot. I don't see why you wouldn't do anything but that, just like in every other AAA game, AAA game I've played, right? Like, you see a crate, you beat it up or you open it or whatever you take everything inside and that's it and so that can you then use those traits that you've picked up on other entities later yeah you can you can say like so take all behaviors right like i took the fact that this monster targets the hero i took that and i'm gonna put that on a different monster which is cool that is cool that's a interesting like thematic or skin around that sort yeah. of idea right is that you're collecting behaviors like that seems kind of weird it is it's weird and cool and unique and i definitely think that's the hook the mix and match mechanic right where you can have two monsters like you know a, a passive fairy that just sits there and does nothing and then like a you know a hell demon that's attacking you and you can disable the hell demon and you can give its traits to the fairy and make it attack you if you want and you can make the hell dog your healing friend or whatever it's it's pretty cool 
It does sound pretty cool, but I think that in, you know, I'm sure you're going to explain this, but I want to put it out there first <laughs> is that like my inclination there is that like this game is going to be terribly hard to balance mm. with regards to puzzle design. It could be. Yeah. Um, or, or at the very least, it'll end up being something where it's like, hey, you need this behavior to solve this puzzle, so you have to go get it off this particular monster. Right. Yeah, I right. can see that. Um, let's see. I, I also, like I said, the narration is amazing. The voice acting is really good. Did you saw, I don't know if you if you played, but you probably saw like some gameplay of Bastion, right? Yeah. So as you're going through the game, uh, there's this narrator like, kind of explaining stuff. He sounds really cool. And this game has that going on. I like that a lot, but I think that also another way the game felt like every other AAA game I've played was the sit here and listen mechanic is what I call it, <laughs> where like, for example, you're, you're when you first start playing the game, you're walking around and you get this sword and then you get frozen and you got a sword in your hand. You can see it and you're like, okay, cool. I got a sword. And then the omnipotent eyeball designer thingies show up and they take it away from you. And I just sit there and listen to them talk for like a minute or two. You can probably skip it if you want, right? But that's not a game mechanic. That's not a gameplay mechanic. That's a, I have a story that I want you to listen to. That is an audiobook, right? And like, I know I'm being too brutal and I know that there's going to be a lot of bleed over, right? Like a game is a lot of things. A game is a narrative. A game can be a movie. A game is music, all that good stuff, right? But to me, don't take away the gameplay. Don't do that. You know, and Borderlands, what it does is it has this thing where like you pick up an audio tape and it lets you keep playing. And the audio will just kind of play in the background. And I think that's really flawed, too, because a lot of times this will happen. I get up, pick up the audio tape, and they're talking in my ear, and I'm kind of listening. And then the action starts. I'm still playing the game, right? And right. I wasn't really listening because I was fighting this demon or whatever. Um, but this game has this where, like, you walk up to an entity or a crate. <clears throat> you press E to edit or whatever, right? And sometimes it'll suck you into an audiobook. And you're in this matrixy world, and normally there's like a list of stuff you can edit, but instead you just hit play, and then you watch. You watch a media player strip with a little circle on the bar that goes from left to right and plays audio for you. <laughs> I, I can't stand that. It's not a video game, man. I really hate that. Like A lot of other things about the game were really cool, but I feel like with the audio story, they, they really just they fell over there. Really, it, it like hit me in the wrong spot. Yeah. So I didn't like um, that. Interesting. I, I tend to agree with you about storyline stuff. Yeah. I mean, I don't really, like, I don't have a great solution because I haven't tried that as a designer. And I also don't know if I've played a game where I really loved the blend of, you know, first-person action with, like, here's an audio-heavy narrative. So I don't really have a lot of answers. I just know what doesn't appeal to me. And I think that this is at the core of why I don't play a lot of AAA games is because that's the thing. Like I was saying, you know, there's a lot of cool things about this game, but it just started to feel like, okay, this feels like a, you know... I can't even make like 10 or 20 other uh, AAA games I've played, right? Mm -hmm. um, another thing I didn't really love about it is it's not always clear what the game wants out of you because if it's very hackish nature, it's like, it's got a really cool environment. You know, like you're walking around and you don't, you don't necessarily know where you want to go, but like when you're supposed to be hacking like slices in the universe and uh, the, the story is like not even there, like it rolls the credits 15 minutes into the game you know, it's a really confusing thing. I, I have spent a lot of time kind of walking off cliffs and dying or, you know, right-clicking stuff and nothing really happening and not understanding what's going on. And I don't really love that. Um, but I, I do think that the game, at least, you know, when you're wandering around not sure what to do, it's it's fun to interact. And it's kind of like if, if you're cool with that, if you like that kind of gameplay where you just it's up to you to explore and, you know, there's not going to be a big arrow going, you know, walk here, idiots, right? Like <laughs> right. If, you, if you like that kind of gameplay, I think you'll dig it. Interesting. Um, so, 
<laughs> would you play it again for another hour? Not intentionally. Not intentionally. Like but, if you accidentally but, fell into your computer chair and it was on. Yeah, but there's a lot to that, man. I mean, if you looked back in time when I was a kid and I only had five games to play, I'm sure I would. If you looked at a version of Matt that wasn't a workaholic, or like just the fact that I know next time I'm going to sit down and play a game for an hour, I want to get through my queue. I want to fill out that form again. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's not that the Magic Circle isn't cool, and I, and I am intrigued. But like I, I do kind of want to see what more the game has to offer, because... There was this portion, for example, where you get to like this 90s aesthetic. It's meant to look and feel, I think, like Doom or Duke Nukem or something, right? And it's really cool, and I want to see more of that. Um, but the thing is, is like, it, it's just, it can't compete with, you know, the 30 games I got to play. Right. So, I mean, maybe I would come back to it someday. I think it's an interesting point that you were making, though, about the time being an important factor, right? Like, yeah. it could be that these games that we love, like the Zeldas and, and the whatevers, right? Like, maybe like they only worked for us because we were forced to learn their systems because we had nothing yeah, else to, to do. Right. Like for sure. If you're like, Hey, I have three games and you know, I'm going to play one of them. Right. I'm going to become a master in that game. Whereas now because of all the games we have at our fingertips, you can easily just say, I didn't pick it up in the first 15 minutes. Therefore move on. Yeah. I think that my gripe about like, you know, not always clear what the game wants out of me the younger version of me that played the hell out of Super Metroid and A Link to the Past wouldn't, that would not have been a gripe at all. I would have been like, I explored every nook and cranny. I know what the game wants out of me because I've tried everything, right? I, I, I explored. I enjoyed spending my summer doing that, you know? Yeah. But this version of me just doesn't have the patience for it. I think that's one of the reasons I like HOTS is because it's pure gameplay. It's always clear. You should be doing the objective. You should be killing heroes. You should be gaining experience or whatever, you know? And there's no like... Just sit. I mean, there is the sit. There's the death. There's the punishment, right? Like that's the only time the gameplay is taken away from you is punishment. You died. You made a mistake, or the enemy team got the better hand, and you have to now sit there. There isn't now. Just stop playing and sit there and listen to the story, right? Like it doesn't really exist. Yeah. Um, so what are the good things? Yes. About Magic Circle. So that's enough griping. Um, the stability was great. So my compliments. Excellent narration and voice acting. Just top notch. And I think that even in the AAA space, you know, we see time and time again the voice acting just being like how is it that bad <laughs> so <laughs> yes. many examples and the, the narration was just uh stellar like i've almost not heard and consistently too there's at least three different four different voices that i heard going and they were all of that quality level very amazing uh the, the visuals are really pretty the whole game looks great and there's this cool thing where like as you're walking around there's color just where you are and it kind of like flutters around you hmm. it's really cool looking the the hacking the space time continuum mechanic that i don't really get with the right click and left click looks really cool uh and then i mentioned earlier there's like this 90s style uh aesthetic that they introduced at some point so uh, there's a lot definitely a lot of really good things about the game but i do feel like it suffers from some of the same traits uh that that triple a games suffer from like you know just sit there and listen that kind of stuff stay a while and listen all I really, I really team. don't like that. Yeah, I remember, like, what? I don't remember actually. What, what first game that was where it was like, just sit here and do nothing. Like, you can't move. It was probably Oblivion, actually. What do you think about games like Final Fantasy, though? Where it's like, there are. I mean, I'm trying to think if this was the case in Final Fantasy three, and it might have been, but certainly I can say Final Fantasy seven. You know, had these very long cutscenes, right? Where it was like, okay, you're in the game now, and then like, bam. Now you're in like this full motion video, you know, 
yeah. 3D rendered movie, essentially. I think that that's a different type of thing. And I think that, for one, it's a different type of game. I think that with a role-playing game, you're getting a turn-based a lot of times. Like, you know, the exploration is probably real-time. But, like, with a turn-based game where it's a very menu-driven and time is not really an issue. Like, in you know, most of those Final Fantasy VI games, especially in options, like, you can usually change it, right? But, like, you can just sit there. If you need to put the controller down for a while, you can. And so you not playing is par for the course. It's the way the game plays, right? You play when you're good and ready. When you're ready to advance, you hit the A button. And I think that's one of the reasons why I used to enjoy story games a lot more when I was younger is because those games would be like, here's a paragraph of text, hit A to continue, instead of, sit down now, child. <laughs> and it's like, press A to skip. And I'm like, I want to so bad every time I see the press A to, press a to skip, right? But I don't, because like, okay, I know I should hear the story. And I think it's another can- factor... What's that? Oh, say, but you can read faster than they can narrate, right? And so, yeah, like, and it's and it's up to me because that's the whole thing. When you're playing video games, you're in charge, right? It's interactive. I get to decide the speed of things. I decide the message speed. I decide if I want to press A to skip. I, I get to push things faster or slower through time. You know what these games should probably have is like a speed slider, right? Like who right. is it? Uh, I think it was Tokyo Dan says he listens to Lost Cast on like 1.5 speed. So we yeah. sound like we sound we sound like little chipmunks. <laughs> Right? But we get on with it faster, right? Like when, when we're babbling. You know what I mean? Like if you want to listen to five podcasts in a day or whatever, like how are you going to do it? Right? And I like, think that a lot of games probably do that. You can like yeah. Zoom. So they're going to tell their story. Oh, what is the player going to... What's the player going to do now? Like I want that. I want a fast forward, get on with it button. It's like I can handle half an hour of Matt and Jeff, but not an hour. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. We're like, I can't stand the sound of their voices. I wish they sounded like chipmunks. Yes. Oh, I man, we to- shouldn't. I get we to should, be Alvin. You're Alvin. Oh man, Alvin. We should inhale uh, helium in podcast sometime. Yes, that'd be hilarious. <laughs> hey Jeff, <laughs> welcome to Blastcast. Or, or you should in post processing decrease the speed of the podcast <laughs> to make up so, to, so that when people listen to it at one point five, it's normal speed. I'll do that. There'll be one day where we talk for half an Whoa, hour and we're like, we got, we, we have nothing to talk about. Andre hasn't sent us questions in weeks. We haven't been working on anything. What are we talking? So like, we only have 20 minutes of podcast, but it's like, world calm. Chew. Yeah. Anyways. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm just excited that I played a new game and yeah. that I have opinions about it. And I'm great. Like, uh, I'm really happy that it wasn't just like, yeah, no, I played it. It was fine. I, I do. I have. I think that it did some things really well, like better than I thought it would do. And I think some things it, it did just as bad as I thought they would be. But look <laughs> at all the good discussion that you're. Yeah, exactly. Sparked, right. Like this is this is a good. Uh, it's a good example of playing with intent. I think. Yeah, I'm I'm energized, and I wasn't just you know I wasn't just like I play hot just to be entertaining and kill half an hour and have a good time, right? But I wasn't playing it like that, and I think that that also sets the stage. Imagine this. I was not sitting down to play this game thinking like, I'm going to have fun. Let's just have a good time. That's the way games are probably played most of the time, right? Instead, I was like, all right, Magic Circle, you have an hour of my time. What do you got for me, right? right. So with prove that context, to prove to me, and I am ready for flaws, right? I am, and, th- and those are the ones I'm probably going to capture the best. Like if it does something good, I'm going to be like, okay, okay, I'll give you this one, right? But I think that says a lot about my reception of any of these games I'm going to play like this in this context is I'm going to be a harsh critic just out of the gate because of the way I'm doing it. Yeah. Anyway, well, if you want me I to play think... a particular game, just uh, shoot me an email. And uh, if you send me a key, <laughs> that's helpful if I don't already have it. Those those games get priority. 
What were you saying? This sounds like a scam to get free games. Say, <laughs> <laughs> hey, send me more Magic Circle keys. I've heard about this G2A website. You can, st- yeah, say, you can start sending like badly phrased emails. Right. Dear lost listener. Casts, oh, God. We get so many of those. Please no, if- do be sending the free keys. <laughs> I, I are a major Russian YouTuber. Those the, that's one we get a lot. Yes. Send me several keys. That's a for me and one. my friends. Yes, for review purposes. Right. <laughs> anyway, good times. Yes. Man, we did not get to like at least a whole episode's worth here. This is great. Well, we have the item stacking conversation you want to talk about. We have yeah. two questions from Andre, which we will get to next time on Lost Cast. Next time. Yeah. Man. Next time on Lost Cast. Questions. <laughs> Yeah, two questions, at least one topic. I'm gonna, I got a shenanigans story to tell. It's going to be great. So all this and more on... Ooh, that's going to be Lost Cast 200. Oh, man. The 200. That's such a milestone. That is. That's significant. It better be a good episode. Somebody was uh, emailing us and saying how, like, you know, good job on the show. And um, just the fact that, like, wow, I don't think there's any other game dev podcast that's hit those numbers yet. Really? You know, like, there, there will be. You know, someday there will be, like, you know... Do best indie studio ever cast episode 500. Not if uh, we don't stop. That's right. <laughs> Every year we'll have 52 more if we keep going. Yeah. Uh, which on that note, support us on Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's it for this week. So uh, thanks for your ears. And don't forget to join us on Discord or the forum at forum.lostdecadgames.com. And back us on Patreon, patreon.com slash lostdecadgames. Indie Game Sim launches on Steam December 8th. Mark your calendar. Buy it. Help us out. Write a good review. It's all appreciated. Thank Post you for listening. troll comments. <laughs> no troll comments. Thanks for listening, you guys. Uh, we'll, we'll talk to you in a week. Ship it.
Help us get to 300. Right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs>